I coach a basketball team, and I got a great little basketball team. I mean, I've watched them grow from the beginning of the year. And on practice number one, back before Christmas, back in November, we started practicing. And I remember the very first thing that I did is go over the, the basics. I, I took the kids and I, I walked them to, you know, the corner and said, this is the corner. And then I walked them to another corner and said, this is the corner. And then this is the top of the key. And then, and then after I got all the terminology down, I had to call it out. I'd say, go to the top of the key. Go to midcourt. And y'all might think that's, that's silly, but, you know, you, sometimes you have to start at the very basics. You, you know what I mean? And then, and then um, you know, uh, we, we, we started working on plays. And I got some sophisticated plays and for little guys, you know, that, you know I, I take it a little further than most coaches would take it. But I think I'm supposed to be teaching them something. So, anyway, but when the game gets a little tougher, this week we got our toughest test. This is, we only lost, to, this is one of the teams we lost to. And we lost by one point. We lost by one point, and it was by a missed, uh, a missed shot at the end. We had the last shot in the game, and, and uh, we missed a rebound at the other end. So if we'd had those things, because we, we didn't rebound. We were up by one. We didn't rebound. They got, up, got the shot and went up by one. All we had to do was come back down and hit the shot. Anyway, long story short of it, you know what I'm working on this week? The basics. Because we play this team. I don't, you know, because, I mean, it doesn't matter. I have a guy on my team. It's Orlando Hudson's son. Now, this little kid has more sports ability than most kids put together. An incredible athlete. And, I mean, we're out there, and he takes off down the court. And he comes through, and he does this Euro step. Boom, bam, shoot, and lays that ball. I mean, it was like an NBA move. We were all like, oh, did you see that 10 years old, right? We're like all faint nine. Nine, and he's doing a Euro step, right? And so all that's great, but if we can't rebound a ball, anybody understand what I'm talking about? We can't rebound a ball. Now, what I find in church, something that puzzles me and kind of bothers me, is that we love the deep stuff. And when we come to church, we want the preacher to always preach some stem-winding, you know, philosophically challenging, amazing message, you know, about Aaron's beard that ran oil and the, you know, and all that's good, but I found some of the things we are challenged with more often are not necessarily all those really great, deep, sometimes it's just the things that are fundamental. And I think that I, I just, normally I would start teaching the beginning of the year on prayer. I felt this year to start with righteousness. And, and the reason I felt that way is because the Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added. I always like words like all. How many would like to have all things? I mean, I think that's a, I mean, God said he'll give me, he said, seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, and all these things. So if I want all, this is a good point to jump off. This is where I ought to start to get all. And if you guys, if we don't, if we don't measure up in enforcing the righteousness of God in our lives, then, the, then there's a good chance that we'll end up with less than all. So I felt, let's start there. Let's start there. And then let's move forward from there instead and go into prayer and go into some things that are important. The Bible says this. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Well, the abiding in him is about your relationship. Do you have a relationship with God? Do you have a relationship? That's about our righteous standing or our right standing. Righteousness means right standing. Seek first the kingdom. Right standing with us. Seek the things of God first. And so he says, if you abide in me, there's the place of beginning. 
there's a great place to jump off right there right there we start with right there if you seek first the kingdom if we have a relationship if you abide in me and then he goes on to say this if my words abide in you I want you to see this scripture holds the key to everything you and I need to, su- to sufficiently supply our lives starts with relationship and then it says if my words now I want to stop just for a minute I took the whole morning at the nine o'clock to talk about the Word of God now I want to tell you something you have an obligation first of all I want to set the record straight the only person we serve is God I, I, I would appreciate I do appreciate the honor that I receive as a pastor and it's great to have people put faith in you as a pastor but I am not the author I am not the finisher of your faith I will never be the author and I will never be the finisher of your faith and I see so many people caught up in charisma and they get attached to men I love the fact that you honor me as a pastor and that you feel uh, connected to the gift within me but at the end of the day I have come to realize one of the things that I see is and why so many churches go up and they go back down and they have success and then they fail is that people are following men instead of following God I, I, it doesn't bother me one bit. It doesn't offend me at all if you, don't have, if, if, if you have a relationship with God yourself. You better have, look at somebody say, you better have a relationship with God. Many of the doctrinal challenges that we've had, many of the problems that occur in churches, people came into the house of God and they heard from a pastor and they got a doctrine, and then they put the word after that. They got the doctrine first, and then they added word to it. You don't need to have a doctrine first and then add word to it. Make your word support your doctrine. You need to have word and then form your opinions, form your doctrine. Now, here's what I'm saying to you. He said, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against thee. I want to challenge you today, one of the most basic, fundamental things you and I can do is have a Bible that we read. That sounds silly. I mean, some of you are sitting in this room and you're thinking this is as basic as you can get. But if I really did a real survey, I mean seriously, if I went through this church and said, how much Bible time did you spend this week, I really believe this. I think we would be embarrassed. I really do. I think we would be embarrassed if we went throughout this entire audience and you wrote down, I mean, maybe even we just said, how about we quote 10 scriptures this morning? Just everybody in the room quote 10 scriptures. I think we might be embarrassed that people couldn't even quote 10. People don't, they don't know what they believe. They go to church, they hear somebody preach something, and then they adopt that for their lives, but they have never gone for themselves and looked in the Bible and read the Word of God. The Bible says to study, to show yourself approved. My job is to stimulate these thoughts in you. And I'm not willing to start out the year and go into February without saying to you, it's time that you pick up your Bible I mean, today there is no excuse. There's no excuse. You, you know, and with, if you say, I can't read. Well, I've got this thing here, this iPad. I can take my two fingers and go from the top 
Uh, normally, it will start reading. <laughs> oh, there, listen. Immediately, it just starts reading. You don't have to read to read anymore. But you should be able to read. I'm not saying you should. Listen, everything is at your fingertips. To, to say you don't have time is really to say you have not made time. It's not that you don't have time to read. It has not been the priority that you, it has not been made a priority uh, of your life. That you sat down with your Bible and begun to read the Bible. My son's turning, turning 11. And, uh, you know, up until this point, Amy and I have spent a lot of time with our little ones. We go up in their bed every night. We read the word to them every night. We pray with them every night. We tell stories. And once a week, I try to tell them a story. I'll go work out a story. And I'll go in there and I'll, I'll come up with characters and I'll do actions. And I know that sounds, you know, but I want my kids. Because the, the Bible says this. There is this life and then there is eternity. This is but a vapor and that is not. And if I don't enforce God in them at this age, see the Bible says train up a child in the way he should go and when he departs or when he grows old he won't depart from it. We've got to invest in our children at the level we would with sports or the level we would with science or whatever they do. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? So I, I'll do a story. I'll go up in their bed and, 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 and act this thing. They'll laugh and I'll have, I mean, just make up voices and all kinds of stuff. But when I was 12 or so years old, I started reading the Bible for myself. My mom and dad went out and got me a Thompson Chain Reference Bible. Maybe you're sitting here and you don't know what that is, but there are some stories. I mean, they even make those for kids' versions now. And uh, they went and got me a Thompson Chain. Well, the Thompson Chain Reference Bible allows you to follow the track of words or the track of stories throughout the entire Bible. So you can start at one end and end up at the other, and it will tie it all together. I got so curious about the Word of God, I started reading. I must have read the whole Bible, you know, or at least the whole New Testament by the time I was 13 years old and just started studying the Word of God and just, just got so Im just committed to it. And, and so this is where I'm at with Stephen now. I'm ready for us to engulf him in the Word. I'm ready for him to start reading the Bible for himself so that he gets a, a, a level of understanding. See, your kids can play a video game. My, my little girl can pick up a video game at four years old today. She can play it better than I can. I went and sat down at this game. I couldn't figure out what in the world I was doing. I was spinning and jumping, flipping, doing all this stuff, shooting stuff at, you know, walls. She, however, is killing things and doing all this stuff. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? I, I felt embarrassed. And yet we think they can't understand the Bible? Really? We live in a, in a, in a technologically savvy world. The only thing is, is we have not, we have not, we have not engaged them the way we ought to engage them, and it might be because we're not engaged. No offense to anybody in this room, but I, I'm sitting here talking to you. I mean, did you read every day this week? I did. And it's not because I'm the preacher. It's because the Bible says that I have to have a relationship with him, and I can't know him if, he, if I don't listen to him. I mean, communication is two-way with God. Actually, you know, I mean, most people miss this, that we communicate to God, but he also talks to us. And, and the, pers the, the most primary way God speaks to us is through his word. Yes, Everything we hear from God should line up with his word, should be core uh, related to his word. It should never be distant from his word. So the word is the place we jump off when we're going to hear from God. And then we can hear in our spirit, but it should line up with the word. It should always line up with the word of God. Never will be absent from the word of God. So wouldn't it be important if I think I'm hearing from God to line it up with the word? 
Well, if I, I mean, some people go to bed and you have a dream and you see some girl in polka dotted, you know, uh, dress riding a horse through the woods who falls off and, and you come to me and you'll go, Pastor Steve, I, I don't know what that meant. Can you tell me? And I saw somebody shoot an arrow at the moon and the dog growled at the apple and I don't know. This is the truth. Okay, if you knew your Bible, you would start there. You would start at the Bible. And, 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 and you would find out maybe that was just pizza. <laughs> maybe there was no meaning to it at all. I mean, thy word is a light unto my pathway. The entrance of your word brings light. Listen, I tell you now, thy word have I hidden in my heart that I may not sin against thee. I, 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 I know how basic this is and how simple this is, and, and maybe you came for a deeper word. But what bothers me so often is the Bible says that he'll give us favor. If we follow his commandments, he'll give us favor with God and man. That his word will bring financial blessing to us. I can correlate. I can literally bring in together. Somebody comes into my office and they say, Pastor, I am starving. My lights are getting turned off. I need help and I need benevolence. I can look at your tithe record, and I can tell why you are where you are. Which means that you don't know the Word. Which means, because as you dive into the Word of God, the Word of God is like a washing machine. It begins to knock stuff off of you and shake you up. And You know how that agitator works in the, in the washing machine to break the dirt out of you? That's what the Word of God does. If you never get in the Word of God, it, you're not going to have these things knocked off of you. You've got to have the word, not only to hear it, but to do it. I mean, this is your roadmap. I mean, how do you get to heaven is described right here. It tells us how to get there, and we're to, we're to follow a path, a path described <coughs> in righteousness. And what I find is people don't really know what they, they just don't know what they believe. And they're like little birds, just sucking up everything that comes. Listen to me. You should never believe everything I say. I know some preachers would never tell you that. But I'm not worried about whether you like me or not. I'm worried about when I get to heaven, God says, well done. And I mean that. And I'm not losing my family for you. The Bible says, what profits a man if he wins the whole world and loses his own soul? I have a relationship with God, and you should have a relationship. Jesus is the author and the finisher of your faith, and he always will be. And yes, he'll use men. That's great. And yes, but don't get attached to charisma. I mean, because if I were to drop dead, you better have some word. If all you're waiting on is me to stimulate you on Sunday, and I'm your favorite preacher... I don't care who it is. I love T.D. Jakes. He's one of my favorite preachers. But I will get down off of his word, go into my word, and I'll see if it's right. You ought to check it up. Find out for yourself. When you come to a church like this, everything will not be perfect. You're in it. We will not see eye to eye. It's not possible. You can't even do it with your own wife. How do you think you're going to do it with me? You'll argue with her on the way to church. It's the truth. 
and act like we ain't supposed We're just supposed to have a perfect, harmonious relationship. There should never. It's total utopia in the church. No, it's not. What we should have is we should know that it matches our philosophies, our thoughts, that our family is blessed, and that overall it fits the Word of God. Maybe not exactly everything I believe to the letter. We, we, it's okay to have a few differences. And then as we preach the Word of God, I remember when I first started in this message, in this faith message, started learning this faith. See, some of y'all wouldn't know whether I was preaching truth or not. You never read the Bible. I have no idea. The only scriptures you get is the one I put on the screen every Sunday. <laughs> I'm preaching real good. See, this, I know, listen, I am a cheesecake connoisseur. I, <laughs> I know good cheesecake, man. Not only do I know good cheesecake, I can make good cheesecake. I can cook. Oh, man. You cannot live on cheesecake alone. <laughs> man shall not live on cheesecake alone. Amen. But how can we live? By every word that proceedeth out of the... See, I like cheesecake. It'd be great. It'd be great to just eat that all the time. If all I could do was eat cheesecake. But you know, that wouldn't work for anybody. And so we come to church sometimes. All we want to hear is the stuff that fluffs our feathers and makes us want to run the building. And we want to flip and jump and holler. And we want to have all the good times that come with church. And we don't want to hear the basics or the fundamentals. But I tell you, some, some word is planting. Some word is watering. And some word is bringing a harvest. Today, I tell you, I want to replant inside of you a desire to stimulate you to get back Pick up your Bible, get out your highlighter, get out your pen, and start finding out what God really says about you and your life. Stop depending on a church or another man on TV. Get a relationship with God. Everything you need is in His Word. Don't come to church without your Bible or some form of a Bible so that you can check up what's being said. Amen. I'm preaching real good. This is some great preaching, man. Here, just pat me on the back and say, good preaching, Pastor Steve. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. It's fundamental. Fundamental. It's fundamental to your life. Everything you want from God is in the Word. You've got to dig it out. It's got to be a purpose for you. I mean, you've got to go and say, I don't have time. Make time. Make time. What else happens? Let me suggest something else to you. Let me suggest to you that before you read, pray. You know, the Bible says first prayer or pray first. There's, a, there's, there's scriptures that indicate that prayer tunes us up, allows us to have an open spirit to the word so that we can hear what the word's actually saying. I would suggest that you find some time to pray. Not just over your meal, but that you find time to pray. That you really make time to pray because you can break things loose. You can change your life through prayer. See, it, it, you know, I, again, that, the, the, as a little boy, I learned this song. If you'll read your Bible and pray every day, you'll grow, grow, grow. Y'all remember the song? Let me demonstrate it to you. you maybe you don't remember. <laughs> maybe this will help you. You know, when you were a kid, you did Father Abim and all that stuff. But this will help you. Now, you, you watch Pastor Steve do this. And then remember this forever. As embarrassing as this is going to be, I'm going to do it anyway because I want this to be a visual illustration to all of you. 
This is how it goes. If you read your Bible, pray every day, you'll grow, grow, grow. And if you read your Bible, pray every day, you'll grow, grow, grow. You'll grow, grow, grow. Grow, grow, grow. Read your Bible, pray every day, you'll grow, grow, grow. If you don't read your Bible, you don't pray every day, you'll shrink. Shrink. If you don't read your Bible, you don't pray every day. You get the picture. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Pretty simple, isn't it? But we're preaching everything in church. We've got every self-help group. We've got life coaching. We've got, I'm not diminishing any of that. All that natural stuff, it's fine. But the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God. Yes, that stuff is supplemental. But fundamental is the Word of God and prayer. In this room today, I want to tell you something. You need to read your Bible. And you need to pray. Prayer enforces the things of God. Prayer makes a difference. Let me give you just a few thoughts. I, maybe you can pick up the tape. I don't have to go, uh, time to go over Wednesday. But maybe you can pick that up. Just some things I talked about. Today I want to deal with just a little more, de- little more depth in the area of prayer. Just so you'll understand the importance of prayer. Turn over in your Bible, will you? Let's go over to, Ma- to Mark eleven seventeen. And let me say this. You might want to write this down. Prayer is a force in the hand of the believer when approached scripturally. Prayer is a force in the hand of the believer when approached scripturally. Mark eleven seventeen says, And he taught them, saying, Is it not written, My house shall be, uh, shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but you have made it something else. It says a den of thieves, but he's saying something other than that. I think it's important that you and I not only realize this is talking about the house of God in general, but you. That when people see you, they shall be, you shall be called the house of prayer. I grew up in a house of prayer. I grew up with a praying mother and it made all the difference in my life. I want to tell you moms, your children ought to hear you praying. They ought to hear you praying in your room. They ought to hear you at night when they go to bed. You ought to wake them up sometimes with prayer, shouting and praying in the rooms. Dads, the greatest thing you'll ever do for your children is give them the legacy and the heritage. Yes, listen, my, doc, my, my mom and dad, my dad didn't have a, a mother and a father. He grew up under the bridges in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He, uh, he got in the Navy. He became a professional baseball player for a while. He played for the Giants when they were still in New York. My mom grew up in a heritage with a mother that prayed. Long story short of it is, of course, they had two kids, my sister and I. Given the background of my father, there was virtually no chance for us to turn out the way we did. My sister's one of 200 or 300 uh, doctors in the, in the United States with her specialty. She is, a, she is a, a well known for what she does. I've turned out to do what I've done. I think I've done a pretty good job doing what I've done here. I mean, the Lord used them, and the way they did it was they prayed. They were prayers. And yes, we got great educations. Both of us went out and got great educations and all those things. But at the core of all of that was, was the Lord. The center of all of it was the Lord. Don't ever prioritize 
the educations or those things as a higher priority in your life than God himself. Because no matter what we do on earth, I have never seen a hearse followed by a U-Haul. Have you? You can't take it with you. You came in naked, you're going out naked. So all that your pursuit, see, just one life to assume be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. My point is this, is that you don't have to be somebody that had grown up in a house with a silver spoon or grown up with educated parents or grown up with, with highly affluent people to be affluent yourself or to do great things. The Word of God will bring you to that point. It will, it will do it. My mom's prayers made all the difference. And we heard them praying at night. We heard them praying during the day. So I, I say to you that you be prayers. My house shall be called a house of prayer. Be a prayer. 1 Thessalonians 5.16. He says this. Rejoice evermore. And then verse 17 says pray without ceasing. How do we do that? Just as we're walking through our life all day long in my life. I just walk around just praying. I'm just sensitive to God, open to what he wants to say, just, just listening and every once in a while, just acknowledging his presence. I encourage you, as you're in your car, riding down the road, acknowledge his presence all the time. Acknowledge his presence. Whatever you're doing, take that minute and say, thank you, Lord. Just ride along. Just sense him wherever you are. Open yourself up to, to say, Lord, I want you involved in every minute of my day. Don't you want him involved in every minute? Amen. So be sensitive to that. Don't stop your job and witness to everybody. They don't pay you to do that. Come on, if you're paid to do something, then do the job for them. But as you do the job, be open to God. Amen. Be open to His Spirit. And then when you get a break, instead of going to smoke, while everybody else is out at their smoke break, I was in the, I was in the airport not too long ago. And I, it was the first time I'd ever actually seen this level. But you know they have smoking areas now in the airport. Have you ever seen these smoking? Anybody go travel in? You go see these smoking? So you walk by these rooms, right? It's a glass. They put a glass. It's a glass room, and they got like thirty people in there smoking cigarettes. Have you seen this? Oh my lord! It looks like they're standing in a cloud. Seriously, you can't hardly see their faces, and they're all in there smoking. Well, let me tell you something. Don't do that. Go pray. <laughs> go pray. Amen. Ephesians 6.18, turn over there. Praying always with all prayer and supplication. How many times? How often? Always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Write this down. Prayer is one of God's covenant tools for realization of, of a glorious destiny. Let me read it to you again. Prayer is one of God's covenant tools for the realization of our glorious destinies. Now I'll read it one more time. Prayer is one of God's covenant tools for the realization of our glorious destinies. I've said this before, I'll never be poor another day in my life. Never. I'll never be poor. Now, remember, my definition is always more than enough. I've had people criticize me about this, but my definition is more than enough. If I was in Haiti, and everybody else was starving, and there was a chicken somewhere, God would feed me with that chicken. 
Somehow I'd have food. If nobody else had shelter, somehow God would provide me shelter. You understand? If the covenant is true. Now, the way God would do that for me is if I fulfill my end of the covenant. Does that make sense? And don't just pray. I mean, we should pray. But if, if giving is a covenant principle, and it is, God has committed himself to the other side of the covenant. So if I want blessings, in order for me to have his side of the covenant, I have to do my side. Here, watch this. Luke 6.38. Give my side. His side. And it shall be given back to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. So the initiation of the covenant being his, for me to receive the covenant is my responsibility. And he will fulfill his part. Is that correct? Bring all the tithe. This is his covenant. Bring all the tithe into the storehouse. And prove me with it here, saith the Lord. If I will not open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, there will not be room enough to contain it. Here's what you have to understand about covenant. God is not a man that he would lie. When he made the covenant, he will never unobligate himself from the covenant. Or disobligate himself. He's obligated. So if I do what God said in his word, I bring the tithe, he's obligated. The release of God's blessing to me is by my fulfillment. Let's go a little further. Let's take it this way. Because everything we receive is on the same basis as salvation. Everything you receive, the, everything comes the same way you got salvation. If you'll believe in your heart, your side. Confess with your mouth, your side. The Lord Jesus Christ, his side, you'll be saved. Initiation of the covenant. Jesus came through grace, gave us his covenant. But for me to receive the benefit of the covenant, I have to do what he said. Believe in my heart. Confess with my mouth. Everything you'll ever receive from God comes the same on the same basis. By faith. When I activate, when I act, faith is the actions. Smith Wigglesworth said it this way. Faith is an act. And so if you, if you, if you are going to receive benefit, you've got to work it out or walk it out in faith. I receive the grace of God by faith. Now, if I'm going to understand that, then I must understand that everything that God does in prayer is covenantal. If my people will humble themselves and pray, I'll heal the land. And this is the confidence we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, we know he hears us. If we know he hears us, then we know we have the petitions we've desired of the Lord. That's the covenant. You have not because you... That's the covenant. If you don't ask, it ain't coming. I mean, I, I mean, that sounds so simple, doesn't it? But Jesus told his disciples in a parable, listen to this, in Matthew 13, 24. Another parable, this is Matthew 13, 24 through 20, I'm almost done. Another parable put forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which soweth seed in his, in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat, and went out his way. But when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants also and the shareholders came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence hath it tares? And he said unto them, The enemy hath done this. Everything contrary to good in life is, uh, this, is this is my notes. Are you ready? Everything that is contrary to the good in my life or the life of the believer is the work of the devil. Would you agree with that? According to this scripture, the devil comes to sow these tares. 
Therefore, the devil is the believer's number one enemy. And the Bible warns us against him. So behind every setback, so behind every struggle, behind every breakdown is your enemy, the devil. Would you agree? Let me read this to you. Psalm 92, 13 and 14. Your enemy's jealous of you. How many know the devil is jealous of you? Because, according to the Psalms 92, 13 and 14, those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bring forth fruit in old age, and they shall be fat and flourishing. The devil wants to stop the word from working in your life. He wants to stop you from having access to the things of God. According to this, God wants you to be fat and flourishing. Not one of you does God want to be skinny and dying. Not one. When you know God and you know his word, God wants you to be fat and flourishing. And you'll grow and flourish. So the devil hates that. And the enemy is jealous of you because he wants you down like him. And just like he did not rest until he got into Adam and Eden, Adam in the garden, he will not quit until he gets you off course of your destiny. He's determined to see that you don't enter into Canaan, but he will not succeed in Jesus' name. But we have a force available to us. This is why we need the word. This is why we need prayer. Because we know the enemy goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. But you should have your weapons at the ready so he can't win. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. But there's a covenant to it. It's not just a thought or a good idea. This is something God wants to activate in our life. And we do it through the word and through prayer. We can flourish and be on, on, on task. So arise. I tell you today, God says arise. This is what he says in Psalm 68.1. Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. Let them also hate him. Let them also that hate him flee before him. God arise and his enemies be scattered. Somebody say amen. amen. But remember the devil came and, 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 and they faced, the disciples faced the devil in Matthew 17. When the disciples came to Jesus, they said, how come we couldn't cast these devils out? Now listen to this. And this is what Jesus said in Matthew 17, 20 through 21. Remember, every attack, everything that you're going through, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The devil came to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give us life. All that's good, but we've got to have covenant. We've got to activate the covenant. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? And the simple things, these simple things that, 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 that we don't always talk about. Simple. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Sounds funny. Because of your unbelief, he said. Verily I say unto you, if you had the faith as a grain of mustard seed, you'd say unto that mountain, be that removed place and yonder place, and it shall be removed. Nothing shall be impossible to you. Then he goes on and says this. Next verse. Howbeit this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Let me tell you, the easiest way to defeat the devil in your life and to defeat all the, all the character flaws, to defeat all of the, of the issues that are challenging you, there are three things outlined in this verse that tell us how to win every time against every demonic force, against every issue. Three forces that are ordained for victory. Three forces. Are you ready? Faith. What is faith? How does faith come? Faith cometh, Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and 
hearing. So we can say, read your Bible. Faith. Okay, you're not getting this. Let me, let me, try, let me try again. Everything attacking you today, every financial stress, every physical ailment has a root in the enemy. The enemy wants to take you out. The thief comes to kill, steal, and to destroy. But Jesus came to give life. All right, but look, he gave us three forces for victory. Total victory. So that every demonic force, the highest level of demonic oppression, can be thwarted and defeated. They couldn't win this battle unless they had faith. The word. And then he said, prayer. You know, that sounds so simple and so basic. But let me ask you a question. How many of you in this room this year so far have fasted? And you wonder why you don't have victory. I've already fasted several times. My prayer life is constant every day. My word level, constant all the time, listening to tapes. But I also have victory. I also have victory. And if you looked at last year and you thought, I don't know why. (laughs) We want the preacher to get up. I I know how quiet it gets, but see, this is really... We want the preacher to get up, make us feel good, get all flowery. We go to, wow, did you hear what he said today? Wow, what a word from heaven. And somebody said, what are you preaching? I don't know. <laughs> You're going to remember what I preached today. If you read your Bible and pray every day, if you don't read your Bible, If you want total victory in your life, sweetie, if you want total victory, total victory, these things come not out but by prayer, faith, and fasting. The word prayer and fasting. Fasting is what causes your body to understand the difference between soul, spirit, and body. It causes you to come into a deeper relationship with God because your spirit becomes aware. They that worship him, the Bible says that the Lord, God is a spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. You don't always need me to preach cheesecake. Sometimes you need a little broccoli and some veggies. And today you needed some veggies. I sense that in my spirit. Pick your Bible up this week. Hear your pastor today. We get closer to God. It's not a, no joke about it. We get closer to God in calamities and catastrophes. There's a person in this room hadn't gone through something, and when they were in the midst of that, started praying. Oh, Lord, help me. Oh, God. Have you ever been there? You know what I'm talking about? Anybody, who has ever done this? Come on. You went into a catastrophe, a challenge, and, man, you started getting close to God. Right? And you started reading your Bible. I mean, you were looking for scripture. You even opened up point. And be careful with that. You might hit that scripture that says, go hang yourself. 
I, I'm just, here's what I'm saying. Yes, calamities and catastrophes cause us to push into God. And some people have developed their relationship to the point that they actually have a calamity-based relationship. Where they're, every, I mean, they get close to God every time there's a calamity. So more and more calamities happen in their life. And then they get close to God and they fall out. And then they get close to God and they fall out. Bad thing happened. They get close to God and everything works out. And then they've seen God's miracle. And now they're back out doing their thing. Doing their thing. And then another calamity happens. They've developed a relationship like that. That is not the way to live. Amen. That is not what God wants for your life. And God doesn't use calamity. See, that becomes confusing because then you begin, God, then you begin to think and we, and we teach people, oh, God's teaching you something you're going through. Here's what God really wants. He wants us to avert all of them. God doesn't want you in calamity upon calamity and disaster upon disaster and issue upon issue. As a matter of fact, here's my point. Why wait till you're in trouble to get close to God? Why have we made this the, the way that we live? Here's my thought. If we'll get close to God, you draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. If we fill ourselves with the word, because see, the worst time to try and get your healing is when you're sick. <laughs> there ain't no way to get faith when you're at the toilet. I've thought about it for years. I've done it. I thought, I'm going to go put together these faith tapes, and I'm going to get faith music. And then when people get sick, we're going to have like these, these, this whole kit. We're going to give them a kit, a healing kit. And then the healing kit's going to be the scriptures and books and, and music and stuff. And, and, and every time I walk in the hospital, they're like, I'm thinking, you know what they should have done? <laughs> you, you reading to somebody that's out cold, stoned? Oh, yeah, I know nobody's shouting this morning, but it's true anyhow. Why would you wait? Until you're sick. Why wait until the bank is calling you to come get your house? You're sitting at the desk of the officer and he's telling you, we're going to come get it on Tuesday. We want the keys back. And you're like, I believe God. You should have believed him before you got in that office. Because everything, listen, I just told you, total victory is wrapped up in three things. Total victory. Faith. Prayer. It may sound simple, but it's the truth. And you need to have this for yourself. Grandma can't do it. Pastor Steve can't do it. Daddy can't do it. You've got to do it. Yes. You, you have yes. to do it. You've got to be the one who gets serious with God. Find out what you believe. I know in whom I believed, Paul said. And I am persuaded. You can't be in that kind of persuasion if you don't know in whom you believed can't be relying. So many Christians stay babies. They don't ever read. They don't say, go buy you a concordance. Yeah. What's that? What's, what's, what's the concordance? A what? A concordance. Yeah. And it's scriptures, it, it, it gives you the words. You can look up words by numbers and they'll show you what the word means. And then go get you a study Bible. Go get a Dakes Bible. That's a great Bible. It's got annotated reference beside all the scriptures. Dakes. Go get you a Thompson J. Go get you a Schofield. Invest some of that money. Instead of buying the next Nintendo or the next Gucci, I, I'm preaching real good. I mean, you know, where your heart is, 
I've spent $400,000. I didn't actually do this, but let's just say you spent $400,000 on your house and $50 on your scriptures. The ratio is off a little bit. You spend all that time gardening to make your garden right and put your windows right and paint your house. All that nice furniture you bought to go in it. Five minutes for God. Yeah, not 24 hours a day, but you better have some priority. 